Everyone doing good? Amen. Praise God. Everyone looks real serious. Don't worry, it's going to be okay. We'll get through this together. It'll be fine. So I want to thank Pastors Max and Molly for having me here. You know, it's a, it's a real pleasure to be here. I love this church. One of the highlights of our years to come out here and see what God's doing here. And um, it's awesome, praise God. This church is growing. It's alive, doing great things. And you've got great leaders in there, Pastor Max and Molly, praise God. So this is your home church. Let me just start off by saying, this is your home church. Congratulations. You found a great church. Amen. Amen. That's worth a round of applause. You found a great church, and um, you know, it's tough of rare, it shouldn't be, I hope it will change that, but it's tough of rare that there's a, a church teaching the truth, praise God, that's uh, got your best interest in heart, at heart, and um, you know, the, the pastors that are leading here, you know, Max, what am I saying this, it's not about Max Cornell, it's not about him standing up here, you know, showing you how awesome he is, and then you, you know, eat popcorn, it's about you being empowered to do the work of the ministry. Amen. And that's why uh, one of the reasons I know why they're doing such a good job is because they're the greatest servants serving you so you can do the work of the ministry, praise God. You should leave here on a Sunday morning empowered. I know you do. I watch online quite a lot just to check up on him, make sure it's all good. And, <laughs> and it's awesome, praise God. It's awesome. So things are going great here. If you're a visitor here, if it's your first time or you're just visiting here, then um, you know this is a great church. So you may need to pray about it. I tell people a church alive is worth the drive. Amen. So if you're looking for a good church, if you haven't got a good home church, then this is a great home church to be at, praise God. If you're watching online later on, or if you're listening on podcasts, and I, I sound old when I say the YouTube, it's not the YouTube, but anyway, the YouTube, or Twitter, or Facebook, or whatever, then um, if you're watching on the YouTube later, then check this out. Wherever you are, check out uh, Karis Kingdom Church, praise God. The website is karaskingdomchurch.com, karaskingdomchurch.com. And you'll be blessed, praise God. Some great teaching here. Max Cornell is an awesome teacher. You're going to love his teaching, amen. So um, uh, I work for Terridez Ministries, praise God. That's our, that's our ministry. And we have a, a staff of people that we, we uh, office out of Colorado Springs. And um, in fact, our pastor, Pastor Lawson, that, that uh, Pastor Max was talking about, says hello. He sends his greetings to you. He loves you all. And he'd come and preach on a Sunday morning, but he won't leave his own church. That's problem. <laughs> so we can't get him on a Sunday morning. But um, we go to his church, and um, he sends, uh, sends his greetings. He houses our ministry in his... We have 6,000 square foot there. He gives us, praise God, for free. Isn't that neat? Yeah. It's kingdom stuff right there. So we have a team of people there, and they also have offices in Africa, and we have offices in Europe, praise God. And um, we're getting the gospel out around the world. That's our mandate. That's our mission, empowering believers in the promises of God. And uh, we're, not, we're not people that just, uh, you know, blow through, do our thing, and then leave. We want to work with local churches. In fact, we don't do anything outside the local church or Karis Bible Colleges. We're Karis Bible College graduates, and we love Andrew Romick Ministries, and uh, so that's what we do. We do Karis Bible Colleges, and we do local churches. Even if we do an event, we'll always have it in conjunction with a local church. We're not going to just go out there and do our thing, because we believe in discipleship, we believe in empowering, and it happens at the local church level, praise God. So we're excited. Oh, real quickly, we have a table out there, and um, you can grab some stuff out there. We have a, this teaching. Is, this is a USB. It's a video and audio, and it's on Philippians, a study on Philippians. How many of you know Philippians 4.19? And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches. This will show you how to do that. This will show you how to walk in joy, how to rejoice always. All those great nuggets that the Apostle Paul gives us in Philippians. Philippians should be one of your favorite books. It's awesome. So who's never read the book of Philippians? I'll give that to someone who's never... <laughs> who, who, wants, who wants to study Philippians? I was waiting for someone to put their hand up. I've never read Philippians. I don't know. What, is that in the Bible? Is that New Testament or Old Testament? I was jet-lagged so bad the other day, I forget where I was flying. I think I went to Africa, then Europe, and something else. I got so jet-lagged, I, I opened my Bible. I don't have a paper Bible. I have an iPad, but I just thought for a minute. I thought, I was going to Galatians. I thought, Galatians, Old Testament or New Testament? That's when you know you're, you're jet-lagged. You can't remember uh, where Galatians is at. This is my book. Anyone read this book, Thorns, Barns, and Old Jars? It's a book on finances. A few people here have read it. Okay, do you like it? Do you need a refund or are you good? 
You good? They say they're good. Okay, so it must can't be that bad. But anyway, this is on finance. This is going to help you, the balance between working, saving, and giving. And um, if your giving's not working, this will show you why. So who needs to, he needs to know about finances and why their giving isn't working. I'll let Pastor Max give that to someone. And then the last thing here is this called more than enough. This is talking about the supernatural increase of God. You know, God is still a God of supernatural abundance, supernatural increase. And um, he loves to increase his people supernaturally, praise God. And this will show you how you can reproduce some of the supernatural miracles in the Bible. We're talking about the widow woman's oil. We're talking about the feeding the 5,000, things like that. God still wants to supernaturally increase us, praise God. But we have our part to play. So this will help you. This is called more than enough. And this type of selfish. I want you to have this because I want the people that follow our ministry to have more than enough. Because as Pastor Max said in the church offering, when you have more than enough, you want to give to every good work. And I'd like to be in one of those good works, praise God. So, so anyway, that's type of a selfish teaching. Get prospered and then give, then give back to us. <laughs> so, there's nothing wrong with, a, with, a, uh, with an agenda, right? As long as it's open. It's not a hidden agenda. That's my agenda. I'm joking. So praise God. So uh, open your Bibles. We're going to look at a few things today. Praise the Lord. I'm excited. Are you excited? This gonna be a, we're going to have a good time this morning. So open your Bibles. Real quick, we're going to run through some things. You better, you better listen quick. This is Ephesians 2, verse 8. Ephesians 2, verse 8. I'm going to read you this scripture, and I'm going to unpack some things for you today in the time we have. So Ephesians 2, verse 8 puts it this way. It says, For by grace you've been saved. That word saved there is actually sozo, and you know this if you come to this church at any, any length of time. That's not just talking about your eternal life. That's not just talking about you know, dying and going to heaven. That's talking about being made whole being made righteous. That's talking about being provided for. That's talking about an all-inclusive package of the gospel, praise God, sozo, to, be, to, be, uh, to receive everything God has for you, praise God. So it's by grace you've been saved through faith. Okay, grace has provided it. You know, I said this yesterday, if you was around any of our meetings, Jesus is grace personified. Jesus came down and provided everything we need to live out everything God's called us to live out, praise God. He's provided everything. But our part by faith is to appropriate that and say, yes, I'll receive that. You know, all the promises of God are yes and amen. God's promises are all yes. He said, yes, I want you to have all these things. Our job is to say, amen, I receive it, praise God. So by, faith, by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourself as a gift from God. This is God's gift for us. Verse 9, not of works, as anyone should boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand for us that we should walk in them. You know, we have responsibility to walk in the promises of God. God's already provided it, but we have the responsibility to actually walk it out. So if you, if you, we're, going to, we're going to look at some real common verses here. You should have these verses underlined in your Bible. But 2 Corinthians 5.21, everyone knows this, right? 2 Corinthians 5.21, we could probably quote it together. For he made him who knew no sin to be made sin for us, that we might become the righteous of God in him. So if you're born again today, which I hope you are, praise God, you can fix that if you're not. But if you're born again today, you are already righteous. You're already righteous. So repeat after me. I am righteous. righteous. Say it like you mean it, church. Come on. I am righteous. righteous. Amen. If you're born again, you might say, well, actually, well, on the way here, someone cut me off in traffic and I questioned their education. Does that mean... Does that, mean I'm, does that mean I'm righteous? Or, you know, I stubbed my toe and said some words that my kids didn't understand. Does that mean I'm righteous? Yes. Your outward actions do not change your spiritual position. So who you are in Christ in the spirit is righteous. God has made 1 John 4, 17 says, As he is, so are you in this world. Your spirit is identical to Jesus. So in the spirit, you are righteous. So you need to identify as being righteous. And then, if you're having issues with sin or addictions, whatever that up, the most powerful thing you can do is identify as being righteous. When you are struggling to be righteous on the outside in your soul realm is the most important time you can declare and believe that you are righteous. That's your positional truth. So let's say it one more time. Ready? Three, two, one. 
I am righteous. I mean, I feel good, isn't it? What about 1 Peter 2.24? 1 Peter 2.24 says Jesus took stripes on his back. He came down. He took pain in his body, sickness on his body. Isaiah talks about it in depth. But right here, 1 Peter 2.24 says, By his stripes you were healed. By his stripes you were healed. So I want you to repeat after me. Say, I'm healed. Ready? 3, 2, 1. I am healed. Let's get together, church, in unity. Ready? 3, 2, 1. I am healed. Well, what about if I have pain in my body? What about if I have disease? What about if the doctor says something's going wrong? What about if I have a bad report? What about if I have to take medication? What about if I this, that, and the other? Am I still healed? Yes. yes. Spiritual truth is you're still healed. Amen? Spiritual truth is that's who you are in Christ. You've been, you're healed. That's it. Now, your body's going to have to line up. Your soul's going to... That's why we have to renew our mind to the truth. But if you start from a position of, I am healed, rather than start from a position, I'm sick, trying to get healed. Now, you're healed resisting sickness. You're righteous resisting sin and temptation and things like that. Okay? This is how it works. So you're righteous. You're healed. Feel good so far? Amen. Second Corinthians 8 and 9. Max stole my verse, but I'll read it. Actually, no, he, stole, he did 9, 8. This is, this is 8, 9. Second Corinthians 8, 9. It's a little confusing. Two of my favorite verses, 8 and 9 and 9 and 8. But this is Second Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Yet though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. Uh-oh, he's talking about rich a lot here. Is this okay? We're in church, right? In context, this verse is talking about financially rich. It's talking about being financially rich right here. So Jesus, just like he took on your sin, God made him sin. He was perfect, right? God made him sin on the cross so that we could take his righteousness. He took your sin, we took his righteousness. The great exchange. Just like Jesus had a perfect body, he was was healthy and a perfect specimen of a man. You know, 33 years old. Should I say it? Should I say it? I'm going to say it. I'm going to say it. Max is going to be 33 years old, right? Perfect specimen of a body right there. That's, they say that's the, that's the height of this. If you want to see what a perfect specimen is, look at Pastor Max, 33 years old. I'm just jealous because I'm a few years older than you. <laughs> a few, seven, what's the difference? It's all good. Jesus was 33. He was perfect. His body was perfect. He had no sickness, no illness, but he took on sickness. He took on pain. He took on disease at the cross so that we could take on his health and healing. Amen? So we are healed. Jesus was rich, yet for our sakes he became poor that us through his poverty might become rich. It's the same thing. It's exactly the same thing. It's part of the gospel. It's part of what we receive when we're born again. So you ready, church? We're going to say, we're going to declare, I'm rich. Ready? Three, two, one. I am rich. Oh, you've got conviction. That's good. Praise God. That's good. Believe it. Believe it. Now, here's the deal. A lot of the time, in, even in, in well, whatever circles, I don't like naming camps, so whatever circles you're from, declaring something like, Jesus was rich, he became poor and experienced poverty so that I do not longer, no longer have to experience poverty and now, spiritually speaking, positionally, I am rich. People who declare, I'm rich, it's type of, whoa, hang on, Ashley. You sure about this? This sounds a little bit maybe selfish or maybe greedy. Are you, are you one of these people that, you know, believe in, uh, you know, having all this stuff and all this? Well, let's look at it, shall we? See, here's the thing. If we don't understand something, if we don't understand the purpose of something, if we don't understand why God wants us to be rich, if we don't understand why God paid for us to be rich, we're not going to get the benefit of it and we're not going to believe God for it. If you don't understand why it's so important for us to believe God for prosperity, we're, not going, to, we're going to abuse it. You know, I remember a, a story a long time ago when iPads first came out. I like iPads. I don't get commission from Apple or anything. But anyway, I should do. I, I mention this a lot. But anyway, when iPads first come out, um, this has got my life on here, praise God, it's awesome. So when iPads first came out, apparently this lady bought her elderly father one for Christmas, 
And then she went to visit him a few months later and said, Dad, how'd you like your Christmas present? He said, it's great. He said, look, and it's in the kitchen. He was chopping carrots on it. Put it in the dishwasher. And she went, whoa. <laughs> it's, like, it's a $500 chopping board right there. So he didn't understand the purpose of that iPad, so therefore he abused it and ruined it by putting it in the dishwasher. So if we don't understand why God wants us to prosper, we're not going to be able to believe for it. And we're going to look at a few things today of why God wants us to prosper, why it's so important for us to prosper uh, God's way, praise God, prospering God's way. And just saying rich and prospering and stuff out already, people are like, oh, people's arms are folded, I'm not sure about this. You know, I was in South Africa the other day and they had, the pastor said to me, Ashley, they said, we've got a little bit of a problem. They said, we've got a bit of a protest. I was like, protest? Like, this is awesome. Protest. You know, this is, this is, I'm really excited. I've been in placards outside, barrels of fire burning outside, cars tipped upside down. Well, this is going to be great. So it's like two guys on Facebook. That was it. So it wasn't that impressive. But they said, don't bring this American prosperity gospel teacher to our church. So well, this is fun. First of all, I'm not American. You can tell by my accent. Uh, don't, I'm from out east, way east. I'm about 5,000 miles east from England. So I'm not, I'm not American. And the second thing is, I don't believe in the prosperity gospel. So I stood up in that church pulpit, and it was a fairly large church, and I stood up there and I said, you know, I want to clear one thing up. I said, the, the prosperity gospel's a lie. And it went over like that. And the pastor was like... <laughs> and I said, I said, the prosperity gospel's a lie. I said, there's no such thing as a prosperity gospel. There's the gospel, and one of the side effects is God's going to provide for you. God's going to give you prosperity. God's going to give you more than enough so you can be a blessing. So there's no such thing as a prosperity gospel. If you're looking for prosperity, if you're trying to seek prosperity, if you're trying to seek riches, that's a bad road to go down. We need to seek Jesus and part of his, part of his whole uh, benefit package to us, part of his relationship with us is going to be prosperity. It's going to be riches, praise God. It's going to be more than enough. So a few reasons why God needs, us, God needs us to prosper. God needs us to believe this thing. He needs us to believe this because a lot of the church now, even in today's circles, even in grace and faith circles, even in people that we believe the whole gospel, and they'll say, let's be rich. Oh, I'm not sure about that. No, it's important. You know, in uh, Proverbs 10.22, Proverbs 10.22, it says, The blessing of the Lord makes one rich, and he adds no sorrow to it. If, you be, if you're blessed, you should be rich. Now, there's no condemnation. I know in a crowd this size, there's people, we're talking about money here, right? Is that okay? We're talking about the least important thing. Luke 16, Jesus says the least important thing, but it's important that we address it. You could have lots of money here, you could have no money, you could be in debt, it doesn't really matter. How do you relate to finances? Because I know there's people that, that call me and email me regularly that have money that feel guilty for having money and being successful. Then I know people that have no money or in debt and struggling that feel guilty for being in debt and struggling and not having money. And everyone in between. Isn't that sad? Let's get the right relationship with finances. Let's realize why God wants us to prosper and why we should be prospering. And there's never any condemnation. Whatever situation you're in, it's not really that important about the tangible money you have. That will come later. The most important part is what do we believe? What's our belief system doing? What do we actually believe about this? So the blessing the Lord makes one rich, and he has no sorrow to it. So why do we need to believe it? The first thing is Jesus paid for it. If Jesus paid for something, I want it. Amen. I don't want Jesus to do anything in vain and we don't get the benefit of it. So Jesus paid. He became poor so that we might become rich. So he's paid for it. I want the benefit of it, praise God. Um, because we don't understand that, a lot of the time we don't, because we see sometimes we think Jesus is poor when he was on the earth. This is one of the, this is one of the mistakes we make. We see Jesus, he's like, basically like homeless. He had some weird like gown clothes, some sandals that weren't very cool. And he, he just went around, basically I've got nowhere to lay my head. I've got, I'm, I'm just basically homeless. And he lived like a homeless person. But we want to be like Jesus, right? We want to be like Jesus. So if we, our picture of Jesus is like a homeless person who's just about getting by, who's struggling, and then we hear this side of the gospel that we should be believing for prosperity. That's a conflict. Do you see that conflict? Well, I, 
I used to think sometimes, well, maybe Jesus was poor when he was on earth. You know, he was rich in heaven. Maybe when he came to earth, then he experienced poverty. The fact is, when Jesus was on earth, he was actually rich on earth. In his, in his tangent, when he was actually on earth as a man, he was rich. And people say, actually, what about all those verses? Let's look at a few of them real quickly. I'm going to knock out some myths here. I'm going to kill some sacred cows in about five minutes. Is that okay? So a few, a few sacred cows. I'm here to tell you, when Jesus was on earth, he was rich. So the first thing is they gave him offerings. He was born. A few years later, they came and gave him gold, frankincense, and myrrh. People evaluate this to millions of dollars. Literally millions of dollars came to him when he was a toddler. So here's a toddler given millions of dollars. That's not a bad start, is it? In fact, it funded his whole ministry, and it funded Mary and Joseph to go and live in Egypt and do all these things. He was actually funded. Joseph and Mary were funded by these offerings that came into Jesus. So that's the first thing. That's not too bad. He got, he got a bunch of money. The second thing is he had a treasurer. So Jesus had a treasurer, Judas, and not only did he have a treasurer, he had a treasurer that stole from him. Yeah. Now let me ask you this. If you have a treasure, what do you need? You need some treasure. If you have a treasure with no treasure, it's not really... And then if you have a treasurer that steals money from you, you better have more than $20 in the treasury. Otherwise, you're going to find out if he steals $10 from you. So he had a decent amount in his treasury that Judas was able to steal from it and do a bunch of stuff from that treasury. And it says that he used to give regularly out of that treasury. When Judas got up to betray Jesus, he said they thought he was going to go and give to the poor like was the custom. So Jesus was always giving to the poor, and that treasury must have been a decent size for him to give to the poor. He had a band of women following him around, ministering to him. You study that out, that means giving to him, actually giving him finances, giving him offerings. Okay? He had such nice clothes that when he died, they fought over his clothes and drew lots from him and wouldn't rip them because they were so nice clothes. So you could say he had designer clothes. He rode a brand new donkey. <laughs> never, ne- never ridden before a colt. They said, you get a brand new colt. No used colt, a brand new colt. Now, I've, my, all my life, I've had used cars. I've had cars that are just, I mean, they're funny. Like, people get in there and say, now you need to go hold the door closed. Or one car, the, the door lock didn't open on the inside. So I used to have pull up in a gas station and wind the window down and call out to random strangers, Sir, sir, could you open the door for me? <laughs> the window would only open this much and the door wouldn't open from the inside, so I'd have to get a stranger to open the door for me. That's humbling, praise God. So having, you know, there's when we use cars, praise God, but I got my first ever brand new car, and I'll tell you what, brand new is nicer than used. I'm just telling you, it's nice. So he had a brand new donkey, he had brand new transportation. He had nice clothes, a treasury. He had brand new transportation. He had offerings given to him all the time. And then we look at some of these rumors. Well, he didn't have a house. He was homeless. He said that the foxes have nowhere to lay their heads. You know, that he didn't have a house. Well, he was a traveling minister. I have a house. I own my own house. But I'm on the road so much. I'm telling you, there's times where I don't have anywhere to lay my head. I have to look up, find, did I book a, Hilton, did I book a hotel? No, I look on the Hilton app. No, did you book a car? No. I guess we have to try and find a hotel. And we drive around town at 1 a.m., true story, looking for a hotel. Does that mean I'm homeless? No, it means I'm traveling. He traveled a lot. He didn't have places to, to stay sometimes, but he had his own house. He said, Jesus had a house? Yes. You know, religion messes this up so much. There's so many times in the Bible it talks about Jesus' house. Let me give you one example real quickly to show you where we've missed it sometimes, thinking Jesus was poor. So this is just one example, and then we'll move on. In Mark 2, Mark 2, 14, this is where we get the idea that one of the ideas that Jesus didn't have a house. Mark 2, 14. And if you've got your Bibles, turn there, because I want you to see this for yourself. Mark 2.14 says it this way. It says, As he passed by, he saw Levi, uh, the son of Alphaeus, I think they pronounced that, sitting at the tax office. And Jesus said to Levi, follow me. Okay, so Jesus said to Levi, follow me. Now, it's kind of strange if you say to someone, if I said, hey, Max, let's go to your house, and I say, follow me, Max, to your house. I don't even know where he lives, so how would I know? So he said, follow me. Then look at this. Then he said, Levi rose and followed him. Verse 15, now it happened... As he was dining, now the, your, your um, uh, scriptures here aren't going to work, but if you've got any type of New King James, Old King James, any type of decent translation, I think on the screen it doesn't show up, but if you look in your, Bible, your own Bibles, 
What does it say there? Now it happened as he was dining in Levi's house. Everyone reading that in your own Bible? Levi's house. Can you see Levi's italicized? Who's got Levi italicized in the Bible? Amen. So King James, Old King James, Levi's italicized. They added that in just to make, you know, they just put a lot of stuff in that wasn't in the Bible. That was never in the Bible. So it actually says, now it happened as he was dining in the house. They just added Levi in. So you're telling me that he's going to tell Levi, follow me to your house. It doesn't even make sense. And there's a number of scriptures that said he came out of his house to minister. When they, when they took the, uh, uh, the, the four people, took the guy and ripped the roof through, that was Jesus' house. That's why there's such a crowd in Jesus' house. Anyways, there's lots of scriptures about Jesus having a house, is my point. And a lot of these scriptures are misunderstood, and they're actually religion or teachers. Because what religion's done, religion is saying Jesus was poor, he was just one out from a homeless person, and you want to be just like Jesus. Well, actually, Jesus didn't have, any, he have his own tomb. He, he didn't even have money to buy a tomb. He had to borrow a tomb. He had to borrow Joseph's tomb. I don't think that was because he didn't have the money. I think that was good stewardship. I mean, if you're going to use a tomb for just three days, why buy it? <laughs> you, can't, you can't rent a tomb, like, be, you know, Airbnb tombs. So why buy a tomb for three days? You might as well just borrow it. So many times in the Scriptures, through the Gospels, we misunderstand the fact that, no, Jesus did have money. People followed him, he traveled, he had money, and, the, and we think that Jesus was poor. We've got to understand, we've got to have the right picture of Jesus. Jesus was not poor. He became poor on the cross. Just like when Jesus walked to the earth, he wasn't sick. He became sickness on the cross. Just like when Jesus walked to the earth, he wasn't sinful, he didn't commit sin. He didn't sin, he became sin on the cross. God made him sin. God made him sin, God made him sick, and God made him uh, poor, experienced poverty. Why? Because he loved us so much, he wanted to give us righteousness, right standing with him. He wanted to give us peace for anxiety. He wanted to give us provision for poverty. He wanted to give us health for sickness, praise God. That's a great exchange. So if we believe Jesus was poor, we're going to think, well, I want to be just like my Lord and Saviour, Jesus. And our picture of him is poor, we're going to be conflicted. I want to get a new picture of Jesus. Jesus was rich when he was on earth. If Jesus was on earth, he'd have a nice car, he'd be in a nice house, he'd have a nice ministry, okay? And it would be, it'd be, it'd be working and people would be, want to follow him. He'd have a traveling ministry. He wouldn't be going around scrounging off people. He'd actually be the type of person that you'd, you'd, you'd think, that person's got his stuff in order, praise God. And then when he died on the cross, sadly, he experienced poverty. He became so poor. In fact, they say that, I think it's the world, um, I forget the organization, one of these world organizations did a study on what is true poverty. What's the most extreme poverty you can get? Because we talk about poverty here in America, and it's type of, it's type of joke, right? If you've been to other nations, I mean, the, the, a bad day here in America is, is a rich day in a lot of other nations. We know that, right? If, you, if you're here today and you could spend $10, and I don't care what uh, position you're in financially, everyone here, I believe, could spend $10, even if you have to go and borrow it, right? You could spend $10 today. If you can spend $10 today, you're in the top 5% richest people in the world. So it's too late for us, to, I mean, we're already rich, right? So, so, so if you go to other continents, you go to other places, you'll find out that people have got very little. And they did this study on what is true poverty. So true poverty isn't you can't make the payments on your second SUV. True poverty isn't, you know, you're having to live in just a 2,000 you know, square foot house instead of a 5,000 square foot. That's not true poverty. True poverty, the absolute extreme poverty, is being naked and thirsty. That's what they, that's what they studied. They studied and said the true poverty is being naked. and If you're naked, literally no clothes, and literally nothing to drink, naked and thirsty. That's true poverty. Well, guess what happened to Jesus on the cross in the final minutes of his death? He was naked and he was thirsty. Jesus experienced extreme poverty for us. Just like he experienced sickness, just like he experienced extreme anxiety, just like he experienced the effects of sin, we can take on his prosperity, his provision, praise God. And his provision is awesome. 
So we have to get a right picture of, of, of who Jesus was. And Jesus was a prosperous man. He was not a poor man. He was a prosperous man. The other thing, the other opposition, we look at oppositions of why we're not believing God to be rich, is we think it's greedy. We think it's all about us and about us getting stuff. Now, some people abuse this message and they go and get stuff and that's all about stuff, right? I said this the other day, I embarrassed myself. And every time, I, I don't know why I'm embarrassing myself again. I'm embarrassing myself again now by saying it. I'm going to say it. But I was getting right in it. I mean, I was preaching. I was marching up and down. I was going for it. I said, listen, I said, prosperity is not about you getting bigger cars and bigger houses and bigger wives. And I was like, did anyone hear that? I was like, just go over here. Everyone heard it. And everyone heard it again now. So I just embarrassed myself again. Edit that out if you can. That'd be good. So anyway, it's not about getting bigger houses, bigger cars, bigger stuff. Okay? The tr- true prosperity, true prosperity is true prosperity. Sorry, guys, my wife's here, Carly. Do you want to stand up, Carly, and say hello? No, okay. <laughs> it's awesome. Praise God. I love you. It's awesome. So true prosperity, true prosperity, I get myself in trouble, don't I? So, true prosperity is not about you getting stuff, okay? This is uh, originally, you know, God's whole plan, don't turn there, but in Genesis 1:28, he said to mankind, go and prosper, go and be fruitful, go and multiply, go and subdue the earth. In Genesis 12, 2, he said to Abraham, you know, I'm going to bless you, make you great. Why? To make you a blessing. The verse that, that Pastor Max read, 2 Corinthians uh, 9 and 8, says, you know, God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that you have in all sufficiency in all things. That means all your needs met. Yeah. That's the state of rich, if you like, financially, having your needs met. doesn't just stop at your needs. Have an abundance for every good work. Have, an, have a bound to every good work. Have an extra so you can give to every good work. Have you know, you can help more people if you have extra money. You can help more people. Money is a tool. Money is something you can use to help people with. The Good Samaritan was able to help because he had extra money. We can help more people. It costs money to run churches. It costs money to travel the world. It costs money to, to feed the hungry. It costs money to help people. We do all sorts of things. I'm, I'm, I don't talk about my giving very often, but I'll talk a little bit real quickly. You know, we do sponsored children's things. We sponsor missionaries around the world. We do all types of things to help people. We need money to do that. It takes money to do that. And I'm telling you, it's amazing. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And when you start paying for someone, we'll pay for people's, we'll pay for people's mortgages and buy them cars and things like that. Then they want to hear about the gospel. It's amazing. You know, heathens, we'll, we'll, we'll just go and do stuff for them. And they're like, why'd you do that? And we're not tacky with it. Just say, well, God's blessed me. He loves you. Tell me more. One guy, one time in an airport, I helped him. And man, he wouldn't leave me alone. He, kept, he found me again. Tell me more about this Jesus. It was awesome, praise God. I'm telling you if, you, if you show the world how much you love them and God loves them through your giving, it's powerful. So we need to get a right understanding. It's not selfish. In fact, it's selfish if you're not believing God for extra. If you just say, well, all I need is my needs met and no extra, that's actually selfish. You think it's all about you. Yeah. Jesus wasn't poor. It's not selfish to believe for extra. It's actually the godly thing to believe for extra. He can help more people, praise God. So we need to understand the purpose of prosperity. Otherwise, we won't, we won't fully understand it. Now, let me move on real quickly. Here's the thing. We talked about if you're sick, that doesn't mean you're not healed, right? We talked about if you're struggling with sin or addictions, well, that doesn't mean you're not righteous. It just means in your soul, you're having to work these things out. That's what the renewing of the mind is. The renewing of the mind is taking what's truth about you in the spirit and actually renewing your mind and actually seeing them promises manifest, actually seeing those promises come about. That's the whole Christian walk. It's just releasing what you already have. So here's a couple of things I want to give you that's going to help you release the prosperity of the Lord in your life. So I believe it's not automatic. I believe everyone... In fact, Andrew Womack quoted me the other day. That really made my day. <laughs> Don't like, you'd like that too if Andrew quoted you. So Andrew Womack quoted me. He said, it's like what Ashley says. I was like, huh? He's quoting me. This is awesome. And he actually got it right. It was awesome. He said, he said it, what I say is, I say this. I say there's two types of Christians. There's those who are born again and are blessed and believe it. And there's those who are born again and are blessed and don't believe it. 
So if you're born again, you're automatically blessed. You're blessed with, with, with the blessings of Abraham. You've got everything. I mean, look how rich and prosperous Abraham was. You're blessed if you got born again. The question is, do you believe it? Are you choosing to believe it and walk in it? So here's a couple of things real quickly. We looked at Proverbs 10.22. The blessing of the Lord makes one rich. Always remember, it comes from God. It's an automatic spiritual positional truth when you got born again that you're already prosperous. But actually, what have I got no money? You declare I'm prosperous. When we first got married, I was a youth pastor. Kylie was a volunteer at a coffee house. We had no money. I mean, we couldn't pay attention. We were so poor. We got this little shack in the woods that I paid $40 a month for from a friend of mine because he was waiting to demolish it, knock it down. And he said, well, you can stay there and just, just cover the taxes um, until, until I knock it down. It had no heating. I mean, this place was terrible. I had, to, I had to rip out shelves out the pantry to heat the fire with. We had, we had, we had squirrels running around the kitchen. It was a ter- We lived there for a year. It was bad, wasn't it, babe? Do you remember that? It was really bad. Anyway, praise God, we moved on. But at that time, we had nothing. And you know what we were declaring? We were declaring we're prosperous. We were declaring, you know what? And we haven't arrived by any means, but we were able to give. We were able to run our ministry debt-free. We were able to, to give and help people. Praise God. But we believed right then when we had nothing. I went to the store and I, had, I only had enough money to buy coffee or cereal. I didn't have money to buy both. And I had to pray. I mean, it was a tough decision. Am I going to be tired and hungry? Or hungry and tired? I mean, this is a big deal. <laughs> Cereal or coffee, it was a big, I had to pray, I, I mean, I was already fasting, so I didn't have to fast, but I had to pray to decide what to do. So we've been there, and I'm telling you, at that point, the most important time to declare you're righteous is when you're struggling right in the middle of addiction or sin. The most important time to de- declare and believe and proclaim, proclaim it to yourself, proclaim it to every devil in hell, proclaim it to your surroundings, that you are healed is when you're in pain and sick and the doctor says you're going to die. I'm telling you, the most important time to proclaim that you're rich and that God has prospered you and God's your provider is right in the middle of when you've got no money and you, go, you think you're going broke. The most powerful time, you can, I tell people this, the most powerful time you can worship God is when you least feel like it. The most a powerful time you can thank God is when you least feel like it. How many enjoy the praise and worship here at Caris Kingdom Church? I mean, it's awesome, praise God. So it's powerful. I'm slightly biased because my son was playing keys today, praise God. But, uh, but you know, the most important time you can worship God is when you least feel like it. Well, I'm telling you, the most important time you can declare you're blessed is when you at least looks like it in the natural circumstances. So real quickly, two things. The first one is, they're both in Proverbs. And the first one is in, uh, in uh, Proverbs, Proverbs 11, 25. Well, actually, let's go to Proverbs. Um, let me see here. Proverbs 13, 4. Proverbs 13, 4 puts it this way. I'm going to look at two things real quickly in a few minutes I've got left. Proverbs 13.4 says, The soul of a lazy man desires and has nothing. Ready for this? The soul of the diligent shall be made rich. Amen. The soul of the diligent shall be made rich. Now remember, you're already prosperous spiritually. How do we get that out into the soul and see it manifest? Because it's no good going to, you know, going to America Furniture Warehouse. You need a new sofa and you just say, don't worry, I'm spiritually prosperous. No, they're only going to see your prosperity manifest in payment to buy the sofa, right? So, so it's... <laughs> So the soul, we're talking about the soul realm, okay? We're talking about the outside of your spirit, through your soul, the soul realm. The soul of the diligent should be made rich. It tells us right here. And there's about 20 verses on this. The soul of the diligent makes rich. What does diligent mean? Diligent means you're going to have to get diligent believing the word of God, that it's the truth that you're prosperous. That's going to take diligence. You're going to have to renew your mind. You're going to have to come to a good church like this. You're going to have to hear this teaching. The faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You're going to have to listen to these truths that it's godly to be prosperous, that it's God's will for you to prosper. It's God's will for you to have more than enough so you can help others. You're going to have to be diligent in that. Then you have to be diligent in putting your hands to something. The blessings of the Lord makes one rich, and he has no sorrow to it. That doesn't mean you just sit in your prayer closet and pray for money. You're going to have to put your hand to something and do something. Get a job. Good things happen when you turn up to work. <laughs> Get a job and be diligent on your job. Start a business. Do something. Put your hands to something. God's going to multiply and bless the works of your hands. A hundredfold of zero, zero. 
So give God something to work with. Every time in the Old Testament, New Testament, there was provision from God, supernatural provision. Feeding the 5,000, the water into wine, the widow woman's oil, the other widow woman's cake and meal. All these stories of supernatural provision, people had to do their part first. They had to do something in the natural. They had to put their hand to something first. Peter had to go fishing to, to collect the tax money. If he said, I'm not going fishing, that's crazy. No, one fish, out comes the coin. So well, Peter was just blessed. Automatically, he got that coin. No, if Peter hadn't have gone and actually threw in the line, he wouldn't have got that coin. So we do something in the natural, and God puts his super to our natural, and he gives us a supernatural result. So put your hands to something. Be diligent. Put your hand to something, and thank God for it. Thank God for your job. Or actually, you don't understand what my boss is like. I've had bad bosses. Just thank God. Say, so, you know what? Thank you, Lord. Speak those things that be not. Do, a, do a, a Romans, what do you call it? 417. Speak those things that be not. And just start saying, Lord, I thank you, my place of work. I thank you, I have somewhere to work. I thank you, Lord. And you watch what happens. Promotion will come. God will multiply the works of your hands. Put your hands to something. Be diligent. If you haven't got anything to do, volunteer somewhere. Do something, lest you do nothing. Two-thirds of God's name is go. Let's go and do something, <laughs> praise God, and make something happen. Sometimes we get so into the rest. Well, the rest. I understand the rest. But you know, it's very out of context if you can say, I'm going to rest in my prayer closet and wait for God to bring me provision. No, it's good and, and godly for us to go and make things happen. He's a creator God. He loves it when we go and put our hands to something. And nowadays with the internet and stuff, there's no reason why you can't make extra money and have extra money coming in. The easier it is to make money, the easier it is to give money. I've got a course out there called uh, Buy, Sell, Repeat. That will show you you can go online, eBay, Craigslist, Etsy, and you could be a stay-home mum or a stay-home dad or whatever, and you could make extra money for a few hours on a weekend by putting your hand to something. So actually, an extra $20 or an extra $100, that's not enough. No, but watch what happens when you do that diligently. God will multiply it and give you more, give you more praise God, and multiply your efforts. So the works of your hands are blessed. He blesses the works of your hands. Put your hands to something. So the first thing is the blessing of the Lord, Proverbs 13, 4. The, the soul of the diligent should be made rich. The soul of the diligent should be made rich, praise God. And the second thing, is uh, Proverbs 11.25. Proverbs 11.25 puts it this way. The generous soul should be made rich. The generous soul should be made rich. Two things we can do to activate our faith in appropriating what grace has already provided for us. We can be diligent, put our hands to something, and we can be generous. The generous soul should be made rich. If you back up one verse, Proverbs 11.24, it says, there's one who scatters, yet increases more, yet there's one who withholds more than his right, and yet leads to poverty. The truth is, if you want to see God's blessing in your life, in the area of provision, you're going to have to be a giver. The generous soul should be made rich. Say, actually, I can't afford to give. If you tell me you can't afford to give, you can't afford not to give. Amen. I'm telling you this time, the reason why you can't afford to give is because you haven't been given and trusting God. Amen. 2 Corinthians 9 and 10 says, God will give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, and he'll multiply the seed that you sow. Here's the deal. What happens is we see the seed and we think, that's not enough, so we keep it. Imagine the feeding of the 5,000, right? The boy's got lunch, and they bring it to Jesus. Now, Jesus and the disciples were hungry. You ever thought about this? Sometimes when you read the Word, you should look into it and really start to think about it. Jesus was hungry. The 12 disciples were hungry. His five loaves, two fish brought to them. They could have been, hang on a minute, lads. Forget these other 5,000 people out here. Okay, send them away. We could have our own lunch right here. They could have eaten those loaves and fish and filled their own hunger right there. You ever thought about that? They could have said, well, this isn't enough. In fact, in John's Gospel, it says, what are so few among so many? That's not going to work. Because it looks so few. What they were looking at was the seed. They weren't looking at the harvest. They were looking at the seed. And sometimes as Christians, we're guilty of looking at our seed and thinking, that's not enough. And that's, if you like, cursing the seed of our words. We're actually saying our seed, that's not enough. Jesus actually took that seed and blessed it and said, thank you, Lord, for this seed. And then it multiplied when he gave it. So what happens is we look at the seed and say, that's not enough. And we don't even sow it. We actually eat our seed. Now, unless you're one of these health nuts, don't eat seeds because seeds are going to leave you hungry. 
God gives seed to the sower and bread to eat. Bread is to be eaten, praise God. Seed is to be sown. So don't eat seeds, eat bread and sow your seed. And what happens is we end up sowing our seed and it does, we end up eating that seed instead of sowing it and then we wonder why God's not providing for us. You imagine if you had an apple. If I had an apple here, I could eat that whole apple and be done. I've had one meal, if you like, and I'm finished. And that's it. And I said, why hasn't God provided for me? No, God gave me that apple and inside that apple was some seeds, right? So I take out a portion of that apple and I sow it and what happens is eventually more apple trees will grow and there'll be more apples and then I can take those apples, eat part of the apple and sow part of the apple and then there'll be more apple trees. That's called exponential growth. Before long, you'd have millions and millions of apples. You'd be able to feed our nation, right? I mean, that's how God's provision works. God's provision works by we're meant to sow seed. And you say, actually, how do I know what's seed and what's, what's bread? Well, I'll give you a clue, first of all. I believe the first thing is you want to do when income comes in, the first thing you want to do is give a portion of that away. Give a portion of that away. I happen to believe that tithing is still right. Praise God. In fact, Pastor Max didn't tell me to say this, but I'm telling you, if this is your home church, I'd be tithing to this home church. I tithe to my home church in, in Colorado. That's seed. When money comes in, that's seed. And you say, actually, is it 10%? Yeah, because if you make a million dollars a year or if you make $10,000 a year, it's the same amount proportionally. It's a very fair system. Well, actually, that's part of the law. Yeah, it was part of the law. But in Genesis 14, it was before the law. And in Genesis 28, it was before the law. People were tithing. Abraham tithed, Isaac tithed before the law. There was giving always before the law. Then it became part of the law. And now it's still good after the law. Murder was wrong before the law, right? Then murder was wrong during the law. Then murder was wrong after the law. Giving and tithing, I believe, was a principle before the law. It was part of the law. And now I think it's still good after the law. In fact, it's interesting when we talk about tithing, people say, oh, it's the law and you're going to be cursed if you're robbing God. Malachi 3. I said this in a church once and this old guy said, yes, amen, you God robbers. You're robbing God. <laughs> I said, no, hang on. I said, hang on. I said, if you're not tithing, you're robbing God of the opportunity of blessing you. He's trying to bless you. There's no curse if you don't tithe. There's no, Jesus has redeemed us from the curse of the law. But there's all the blessing there. See, when you look at the Malachi 3, we always look at, look, cursed and all that. How about we look at God's trying to get more to us? He says, I'm going to open up the windows of heaven and give you such a blessing you can't contain it. God is the biggest giver. His very spirit is generous. His spirit is generous. He's a God of generosity. He's not a God of taking. So if he's asking us to give, it's because he's trying to get more to us. He's never trying to take from us. So I would start there. I would sow my seed by sowing my tithe. And you say, actually, I can't afford to do it. Just watch what happens. God says, prove me in this. When your income comes in, before you pay everyone else, take 10% and give it to the church. And you watch what happens. I'm telling you, it's powerful. I've been, we've been doing this 25 years. You can't talk us out of it, praise God. So when income comes in, they see, then there's offerings on top of that. Then there's first fruits and other things. But you want to take a portion of your income and sow it. And then that can reproduce, praise God. God gives seed to the sower and bread to the eater. And you watch what happens. Those seeds will increase and you'll be able to give even more and be able to give you more, but it's going to take faith to do that. It's going to take faith. The truth is you're already prosperous in your spirit. The blessing of the Lord makes one rich, and he adds no sorrow to it. Our part by faith is, okay, I'm going to be diligent. I'm going to be diligent to believe the truth. I'm going to be diligent to fill my, fill my mind up with good teachings about this. I'm going to be diligent to put my hand to something and actually appropriate this and actually uh, be productive, and I'm going to be generous. I'm going to be generous by giving. I'm going to trust the Lord with my giving. It's going to take faith to do those things. And as you do those things, you watch what happens. You're going to see that prosperity come through your life. You're going to be able to give more than you've ever given. I believe there's people here that, that have got dreams about giving big, and you think, well, how's that ever going to happen? It starts a little bit at a time. You start with where you're at, and you start by sowing that little bit of seed, and watch it increase, and you can sow more, and watch it increase, and sow more. We're tithing now more than we used to earn full stop just, just five years ago or so. We, in fact, when I left Andrew Roman Ministries, we were both on full-time salaries, okay? So I know what this is like. Both on full-time manager salaries. Andrew paid us very well. We quit our salaries, both of us, bam. 
Zero, out in the faith walk. It's awesome. <laughs> and Andrew said, what's your first goal? I said, my first goal is to give back, give more than you used to pay us. And they used to pay two, two managers' salaries. It was a good salary. Praise God. The first six months of our ministry, we was able to give more than both of our salaries combined for a year. Praise God. So this stuff works, I'm telling you. Put God first. Watch what happens, praise God. The blessing of the Lord makes one rich, and he has no sorrow to it. It's God's will for us to be rich. It's God's will for us to have more than enough. It's God's will for us to be able to help more people and spread the gospel around the world by having, having an abundance for every good work. Amen? And as you put your hands to things, and as you give, praise God, watch what the Lord does. Amen? Can I pray for you? Father God, I thank you, Lord, that it's your will for us to have abundance. It's your will for us to be financially provided for. And I thank you, Lord, your provision is part of the gospel, Lord. Your provision, when we said yes to you, Lord, I thank you, Lord, we received everything that pertains to life and godliness, Lord. And we receive, we receive your abundance in Jesus' name. Lord, we repent of wrong thinking. We repent of thinking that it wasn't godly to be rich or it was selfish to be rich, Lord. And now, Lord, we line ourselves up with your truth. And, Lord, we decide to believe your truth, that it's godly, to have provision. It's godly to be able to help people. It's godly to be provided for. And Lord, we believe it. And Lord, whatever condition we're in right now financially, Lord, I thank you that our spiritual position is prosperous, is rich in you. And Lord, we claim that for ourselves right now. We claim that we are rich in you, Lord. And I thank you Lord, that our outward circumstances will have to line up to the truth. Our outward circumstances have to line up to the spiritual truth. And right now, I declare prosperity on this church. I declare, I declare an abundance of finances on this family. In Jesus' name, I declare this church to have an abundance of finances increase. I declare every family in this church to be able to have an abundance for every good work. I declare that people will be able to start giving like they've always wanted to give. I thank you that the offerings are going to be bigger than ever so we can help more people and, and more people can hear about you, Lord. I thank you, Lord, you give us the power to get wealth so you can establish your covenant, Lord, and we agree to that, Lord. We agree that we have the power to get wealth, and as people go out and put their hands to things, I thank you for businesses to flourish. I thank you, Lord, for promotions in workplaces. I thank you, Lord, for supernatural debt release. I thank you, Lord, as we trust you, you will add everything we need. And, Lord, we trust you, Lord. We do our part in the natural, and I thank you, Lord, you add your supernatural to that, Lord, and we're going to see supernatural results. I pray for testimonies right now coming out of this church of people prospering, and people being able to spread the gospel like never before. In Jesus' name. Everyone said, Amen, Amen. Praise God, Pastor Max. Appreciate you all.